mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 10. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. And if you'll remember with me, as we closed last week, really, we're talking about sin and righteousness. We're all born with a sin nature. We don't sin because we're sinners. We're sinners because we're born. We're born separated from God. It's just our nature. And unless we're reborn, born again, we die twice. Born once, you die twice. Born twice, you only die once. And what we don't understand typically is that it's all a spiritual life. Everything is a spiritual life. We do have physical bodies, but we're spirits that have been given physical bodies for a short time here on earth, and we're in a grand courtroom to decide whether we're going to believe God and trust Him for salvation, His Son Jesus dying for our sins, or will we resist that great love and ignore Him and never believe in Him, never trust Him? And if we believe Him, He gives us His perfect righteousness by the blood of Jesus. If we reject him, we go to hell. It's a very simple gospel. There's, there, it's a very simple plan. The love of the Father is that he come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us and he died for us. An atoning death. Because there was no way that you and I could be perfect. There was no way that you and I could live a life that was acceptable by him. But we can receive his love. We can receive his payment and believe that he was perfect. And then he gives it to us, just like in your bank account. If you go and call the bank today and they say you got $25 in your account, you pretty much believe you got $25 in your account. But if they tell you you have a couple million, you'd be like, no, it ain't, no, no, there ain't no two million in my account, but I'm going to rush right out and spend a million before you find out that there shouldn't be two million. Listen, when you believe in Jesus, he puts all of his inheritance, all of heaven and earth gets put in your bank account. And you have all of this inheritance, but the devil don't want you to know it. The devil don't want you to know that you're royalty now. You're a son of the king, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He, he called you to be one of his children. And all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Many people do that. In fact, we have a thing in the churches that people go up front and they say that prayer. But they do that in many cases looking for fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. 
And then they go back and they live the American dream. They just rush back out and do exactly what they've always been doing. And there's never any true change in their life. And now this is what John is showing us. Is, as he uh, uh, tells us about sin and righteousness, he tells us that if we have been born again truly, then we no longer practice what the old nature practiced. See, you've been given a new life if you come to Christ. If you believe in the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the seed of God, that's the point I was trying to get to, now comes and lives in your heart. That was 3.9, in case you're wondering where he was going. In 3.9, it says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Remember, the word doeth means committing or practicing. That's your nature. You don't keep doing that and feel good about it. You don't go in that direction. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, practice sin, because he has been born of God. And this goes all the way back to Genesis, where we want to be always looking for our truth at, is the Old Testament. The Old Testament keeps us in line with the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's a principle. Kind produces kind. You can't breed two dogs and get a cat, okay? Kind produces kind. And if the seed of Jesus has been planted in your heart, when you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you become righteous and you become of his kind in his family. Are you understanding me here? Because if you don't begin to become part of his family, that you're pursuing righteousness as he pursued righteousness, you're doing what always pleases the Father as he always did what pleased the Father, then you're still living like the old nature and the seed of the devil is still in you and you're still being produced in the kind of him. So there's always, there's always evidence there's always proof, and part of that evidence and proof is as you go out and live a life that's being changed. See, we're not perfect, but we're being perfected. We aren't what we are supposed to be when we see him face to face, but we're not supposed to stay who we were, because you cannot stay who you were and truly go with God. Because he has changed you. As soon as you believe instantly, positionally, you become perfect in heaven. Seated with him in heavenly places. But practically, we begin to walk this out and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I've been doing it this way all my life. How do I really do it according to your kingdom? Because I'm not of this world anymore. I'm not of my old nature anymore. You've given me a new nature. How do I do it according to the kingdom of God? And then he begins to show you. And then he actually gives you the power through the Holy Spirit to begin to do that. And then you train your heart, just like when we were little children, you train your heart to that's how you always react to that situation. And when you don't, the Holy Spirit, his seed that's in you will say, that's not how we do it, dude. Oh, he'll say, that was bad. That's sin. That's going to separate you from God. And it doesn't mean you get kicked out of heaven, but it interrupts the, the, the relationship with God. Think about it. You're sitting at the table, you and your family, which we're supposed to be doing, and little Johnny spills his milk. Now, little Johnny's been told about 16 times, stop playing like that with your spaghetti because you're going to spill your milk. So now since he's been warned, he's been told he's, he needs to be disciplined. So what do you do with little Johnny? You tell him to go to his room. 
And you separate him from the fellowship of the rest of the family for a moment because he would not obey what he was asked to do. But now you don't kick him out of the family. You spilled your milk, dude, you're kicked out of the family. But then later you go and talk to him and you bring him back in and you restore it. And he goes, yeah, I was wrong. I should not have done that because you told me to quit playing with my spaghetti and my milk. You know, and, and, and so there's this reconciliation. Well, the blood of Jesus is that reconciliation positionally, but practically you have have to begin to say the same thing that God says. And that word is confess in the Bible. It means to agree with God about what is right and how things should be done. And when he says, don't play with your spaghetti, you're going to spill your milk, just know that he already knows that if you keep playing with the spaghetti, you're going to spill your milk. It's just something that's going to happen. And he's trying to keep you from the separation, from the sin, from committing what he knows is down the road if you keep playing in the spaghetti. So that's what a parent is supposed to be doing, training a child's heart in the way that it's supposed to go. Is it any fun to say, Johnny, go to your room? No, it's no fun to punish kids. But if you try to be that kid's friend... You're never going to train its heart. What you're going to do is give it your heart, your nature, your ways, instead of teaching it that it needs to be looking at a higher authority that's coming. Hearts need to be trained. That's why God tells us, train a child in the way that they're supposed to go, and when they're older, they will not depart therefrom. Why? Because it becomes grounded in their heart. So then we come back to God as little children. Anyone who does not receive Christ as a little child cannot be his child. And we come back as little children going, hey, my whole life has been messed up. And you forgive me for all of the things that I did? You forgive me for the sin nature that my first father, Adam, gave me in the garden? And now I get to start over as a little child. But you know what happens with most people? They go, no, I was told that if I just say a prayer, I'm okay. If I just say a prayer, I get to go to heaven. Well, it's not true. It's just not biblical. It's just nowhere in the Bible that you say one prayer and you get to go to heaven. It's just not there. But if you believe, then there's evidences, there's, there's actual proof. Because the Spirit of God, the seed of God, is in you now if you've been born of God. And the Holy Spirit is that seed. He comes and plants His character in your heart. Right? The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But you can say, nope, I'm going to keep being angry. I'm going to keep being mad. I'm going to keep doing things my way. I'm not going to agree with that seed that's been planted in me. But if you let it grow, kind produces kind. Corn seed produces corn. Bean seed produces bean. Jesus' seed in your heart produces Christ-likeness. If you just allow it to grow, if you just abide. In John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And bearing fruit, just growing fruit, it's just producing fruit by abiding in the vine. You ever see an apple grunting? You ever see an apple fighting with the other branches going, get away from me, don't tell me what to do, don't judge me, man. That apple just abides there and receives all the nourishment from the tree that's already created, it's already there, it's just a natural processes, and that's what salvation is, it's just natural. If you will agree that you're wrong, your nature's bad, and that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then the Spirit plants into your heart and begins to grow just with naturalness. 
the nature of Jesus. Now your spouse might not see it for a bunch of years. This is normal stuff. Your spouse goes, you always do that. You never say that. But you haven't done it in 10 years. But they still remember. God doesn't remember your sin anymore. Your spouse or your boss or somebody else might still remember your sin. God doesn't. And he wants you. And we're going to get to that eventually here in this chapter where he says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Somebody else condemns you. If the devil says, yeah, but you were, God's greater than all that. He said he forgives you. He cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, so it's forgiven. It's a done deal. He's the one that created it. He's the one that allowed it, and he's the one that saves you. And that kind of love will cause you to surrender to him. Listen to me. If the seed of Christ is in your heart, if you believe truly, there is going to be evidence. Evidence. And that seed is in you, always wanting to grow you up, always wanting to teach you and train you. And it's very clear what the Bible says. Listen, because most people don't get this, because you'll hear, you'll hear even Christians go, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're not all God's children. God created every person on the planet, but we are not all God's children. Whichever nature you follow, whichever seed you allow to live in your heart, that's whose child you are. There's the father of all lies, the devil. You can follow him. You can keep ignoring the instruction of the word of God. You can keep ignoring the free gift of the blood of Jesus that sets you right and pays for all of your sin with God. Or you can receive the truth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And then you actually become a child of God. That seed gets planted in your heart supernaturally. And then the Bible says in Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. See, there's a bunch of people out here in Christianity, culturanity is what I call it, and they think they're the sons of God, but they're not being led by the Spirit of God. And see, you can tell what a person is by how they're being led in life. If they're still living for self, 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 and all they care about is themselves, and they don't love their brother, they don't love others. See, God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that love is who we're supposed to be like eventually. When we see him, we'll be like him. When he puts his seed in us, it's a seed of love. It's a seed of concern for others. It's a conceit of death to self because he had everything and died to self and came down and condescended. He became lower than us. That's the seed that's planted in us. And he's all-powerful. That seed is all-powerful. That work is already a done deal. But if you fight with him, which is what most Christians do, we sit around and, and I say this all the time and I'll say it again. We come into church and, man, I've been fighting with the devil all week. And you've really been fighting with God. But since you won't sit down and read your Bible and learn what God is doing and who he is, you always think, because the devil likes you to live upside downward, you always think you're fighting with the devil. But you're really resisting the work of God to change your life and to give you a hope and a future, to, to retrain you in what godliness is, what righteousness is, what love is, instead of believing what the world has been telling us. 
And we're going to get there, 1 John 5, 19. I promise you, if Jesus doesn't come back, we'll eventually get there. And it says, I know you are of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one, of wickedness. Lawlessness is what it's called. Underneath the drum, marching to the beat of, listening to the voices of, and all the gurus of the devil. And we think that's what we need until God opens our eyes and we go, wait a minute. You mean all of this is... And it's, and it's under the father of lies? And God allows this? Yeah, he's trying you. He's testing you. He's giving you truth, and now you have to make a decision. Am I going to keep chasing all that the world has and end up in hell? Or am I going to surrender and receive all the inheritance of heaven and begin to do the will of God? See, because no matter what you do, if it's not done by the Spirit of God, because of the will of God, for the glory of God, it's still sin. It's still unrighteousness. You can't do anything by your own flesh and blood. You can't accomplish anything for God because it's unrighteousness already because you're an unrighteous person. Don't want to be mean to you, but you're a sinner. And the only way not to be a sinner is to believe what God is doing. And when you believe what God is doing, he invites you back into his family. He puts his seed in your heart. And now you come to your senses like the prodigal son and you begin to move toward the father. Knowing that when you get to the father, he's already given you a signet ring. He's already clothed you. He's already given you a place in heaven. And you don't have to worry about it because you're moving toward him. But none of the moving toward him saves you. Only coming to your senses saves you. Only by grace can you be saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I've been working more than you. You've been working more than me. No, I'm saved more than you. We're all saved the same, and it's only by our hearts turning back to God. And then he gives you his righteousness. See, in the garden, they ignored God and his word. And that's how we ended up with a sin nature from the first Adam. But Jesus is called the second Adam. And the second Adam was perfect in all of his ways. And he pleased God in everything that he did. The first Adam gave us his rebellion. The second Adam gives us his righteousness. And you can receive that. But you still have a choice. Am I going to live the rebellious life or the righteous life? And everything that you do has to be a decision based upon what this word says. 66 books by 40 authors that gives us the full instruction of what God is doing, what he's done, and what he's going to do tomorrow. It's all written down in here, but you have to receive that seed in your heart first. Then he gives you spiritual eyes. Well, I've got spiritual eyes. I receive that seed. I believe. Are you moving in the direction of coming back to the Father? What do you mean? Are you dying to self? Are you saying, I'm not following my rebellious nature anymore. I want to know what God says. And whatever God says, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to ask him to give me his spirit and his power to do it because I don't think I can do God's work by myself. And if you do think it, then you're going to get yourself in trouble at the heart of your Christian walk. So let me show you this. I keep saying this, and we haven't got to our text yet. I want you to see this in real time. Um, this is meat, I'll tell you that. When I preach up here, you don't have to get everything I say, but you need to begin to draw near to God and ask God to help you. Um, most people don't understand it and don't know it, but Abraham was not under law. 
But most of the time, when you're reading the Bible, you think there's only Old Testament, New Testament. So the Old Testament's law, the New Testament's grace. Well, that's not true. Abraham was under grace just like you and me. And in fact, in Revelation, or excuse me, in Genesis 15, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In other words, he looked forward knowing that God was one day going to send his son to die, and he believed that God was sending a sacrifice. You and I, we believe God that he did send the sacrifice, and we look back knowing that he did send him, and he died on a cross, and he rose again on the third day, and then you and I are given righteousness. They look forward, we look back. Everything looks at the cross. It's the crux of the matter. Everything relies upon the cross. What was the cross? The blood of Jesus. Why was it blood? The atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world because life is in the blood, right? So Abraham in Genesis 15, and if you would look with me, Genesis 17, I will read from Genesis 17, God is ratifying the covenant with, with Abram. His name was Abram, which means father, right? And he had no children, so people made fun of him. It's really, and then God came and changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, and he had no children. So people looked at him weirdly. What's your name? I was messing with a kid that was working with us the other day. I go, what's your name? He goes, Abraham. I go, where's your kids? And he's like, He's like 19 or something. He's funny. So he had no idea what I'm talking about. He's not even a Christian. So he had no idea. So I explained it. But that opens the doors for me to explain the Bible to him. And he's listening intently because I'm talking about his name, about his life, about why he was named Abraham. Anyway. So in Genesis 17, I want you to see this because I always tell people this. And I, and I want us to understand this, that God is an unchanging God. And everything about the New Testament is already written down, hidden, if you will, in the Old Testament. So Abraham is under grace. Law doesn't come until after Abraham's descendants all go down to Egypt and they're in the world, and then God comes and rescues them through Moses. Then when they say, I will, and that's what most Christians do, they say, oh, I'll follow God. And then they try to do it in their own strength. And you know what they do? They put themselves back in bondage. That's what Moses and his people did. So God had to give them law to tell them what to do and what not to do so that he wouldn't have to kill them. And I know I'm going too deep, too deep. Let's go back. Genesis 17, 3. This is after 15, which if you read in 15, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Then Abram fell on his face, and I'm right in the middle of a section, you'll have to read it, and God talked with him. God still talks today. Listen to me. If you hear anything today from what we're talking about, it's because God is talking to you. I might be the mouthpiece, the witness, the one giving testimony, the one opening the word of God to you. But if your heart receives it, it's from the spirit of God. So God is talking to you. And if he convicts you of something, you should do something about it. Or what you're doing is you're rejecting what God has to say to you. He's talking today. He just uses other ways to talk. He talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. This is a contract like you would sign with somebody. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of many nations. Pretty practical, huh? For I have made you a father of many nations. Notice God just said he has made you, and he hasn't even got the first kid yet. 
But God just says it happened, and it's going to happen because he speaks the, 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 the future before it happens. He tells you of these things. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Listen, if you have any fruit, it's because God will make you exceedingly fruitful in the spirit. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Did you see that? That's the first really hint of of, uh, Gentiles coming into the church. I will be their God. He gave them Canaan, and then he says, I will be their God, the land of Canaan. And God said to Abram, Abraham, This is God still talking to him. As for you, this is God speaking to us. As for you, you shall keep. The word keep means to protect or mark. Could be a mark upon you. See, the devil is going to put a mark upon people. He's going to deceive them into taking a mark. You know, when Cain killed Abel, God put a mark upon him. And there's a mark. You shall mark or you shall keep my covenant, guard it, protect it. It's a mark. It's something that's going to show that you are different because you know me, right? The deception that the mark's coming, Revelation 13, it's a deception that people worship the devil as opposed to worshiping God. He steals their worship from them. He steals what they serve. Right here, God says, if you're in a covenant with me, you need to protect that covenant. You need to protect that mark. You need to make sure people know who you're living for. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Verse 10, Genesis 17, 10. This is my covenant which you shall guard and mark and keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Ouch. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Double ouch. And it shall be a sign. A sign tells you something about something that you don't know just by looking at it. It means something totally different. Wall, look, wall, paint, right? You're looking at it. If I hang a sign up that says wet paint, now you know something more about that paint than what you knew before. It's a sign. It's an indication, right? So if they obey what he's telling them to do, no matter how painful it is, then there's a sign that they're in a covenant with God because they have a new father. Because now they're listening to him and not their old nature. Now they're listening to God and not what they want to do, but what they're told to do in order to be part of the family of God. They're not saved by it. They were ratified in 15 when he says he believed God and it was accounted for righteousness. But if you believe God, then you begin to do what he says. See, the problem in the garden was they said, we believe you, God, but we're going to do what the devil says. And that's how you and I got a sin nature. Eve decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Watch this. 
Listen, what is circumcision? Don't be freaking out on me. This is Bible. This is what we're supposed to talk about. It was a covenant. What is circumcision? It's cutting away of extra flesh. Well, why is that extra flesh even a problem? In physical reality today, male children are almost always circumcised, not every one of them, because what happens is, is germs and different things will hide in that foreskin and hide in that extra flesh and will cause infection and can actually cause disease and, yes, death at a, at a certain point if it's not dealt with. So they just say that it's wise to cut away the excess flesh. Well, when you come to salvation, that's what it's all about. You come and it's a spiritual life. So now you become a spiritual person and you have to begin to cut away the flesh. If you don't get rid of the flesh and deny self and die to self and deal with the flesh of your life, then what happens? Sin and other things hide in that flesh and you think you're okay. You convince yourself you're okay, but actually disease can begin and death can come from the end of that because you've ignored the entire salvation. Because what's salvation? deliverance from the sin nature it's deliverance from the flesh life now you're in a spirit life who you're supposed to be from heaven above now i know that seems like deep but i just want you to see that nothing has changed god's an unchanging god his first covenant with abram that he called out of ur of chaldean who was a pagan he was a heathen his people worshiped the devil and they did it out loud and they poured blood on everything they were evil and god said hey you come here Come here to me. He didn't do it because of who Abraham was. He did it because of who he was. And he said, you follow me, and I'll make you a father of many nations. And he believed God. It's not about who you are and what you've done in the past. It's about what God can do with you if you will believe God. But you have to believe God. If you don't believe God, it's only religion and pretend. But notice he says this. It'll be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 12, 17, 12. He who is eight days old. If you were with us for the Christmas, that was the next chapter. They took Jesus on the eighth day into the temple. And Anna and Simeon were right there. They were taking him to be circumcised. They were taking him to pay the uh, uh, birth money. And they actually paid with doves instead of... uh, 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 goat because they weren't rich enough to have any goats so anyway i'll get to another thing verse 12 he who is eight days eight is the number of new beginnings new beginnings now they and the doctors and the medical they ignore this now because they give you a shot and it skips over this coagulation thing but anyway god knew that the eighth day was the perfect day to have a new beginning and to cut away that skin so that the child didn't bleed to death uh he was he was eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations he who is born in your house or bought with money remember we're bought with the precious blood of jesus Galatians 3 says we're adopted into the family of Abraham. That's what we are. We're adopted into the family of God, but we come through Abraham's seed. We come through that, this covenant. Right? Anyway, um, he who is born in your house, 13, and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh. God's covenant is in the flesh. If you stay in your sin, 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 your flesh, 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 your self, 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 you have no covenant with God. For an everlasting covenant 
And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now broken, in, in this, they were in the age of grace. Abraham was under grace. And you could break the covenant. Broken means to dissolve, to make of no effect. But make no mistake, listen. We're not saved by the work, but if we're saved, we will work. Faith without works is dead faith. But we do different work. We stop from our work and we enter into the work of going out and the ministry of reconciliation of souls. We begin to know that everything that we do is about being a witness. Whether it's your actions or your words whether, whether it's how you spend your money, how you live your life, where you're at, everything is a witness that we serve a living and true God. And so if we walk out of this building after knowing all those things and we just go right back to living like we're dead, then which nature are we serving and do we really know God? Is His seed really in us? And the Bible declares that if His seed is really in you, you cannot do that. It's impossible for you to go out and keep living in a death culture, and not understand. So if you can go out there and live, and you're okay fellowshipping with the death that's out there, if you're okay with going out there and saying, it's okay, I can practice sin, I can play with sin, I can, then you might want to go back to the cross and say, Lord, am I even saved? Or was that some cultural thing that I did when I was warming my hands by the fire? If I think I'm okay, that I can keep chasing sin and it's going to be fine? When the Bible declares that if His seed dwells in you, you turn and you repent and you begin to go toward the cross, it does not say you're sinless. It says, but you'll be affected by your sin. You will be, you will be alarmed by your sin. You will be saying, what's going on, Lord? The Bible says in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall see God. So everybody that cries gets to go see God, right? Nope. means mourning over your sin. It means hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It doesn't mean just crying because grandma died. But you're really concerned that, listen, I'm, I, I'm a child of God, and, and I still sin? And you're concerned with the fact that you're not pleasing to God. But you know now, truthfully, that positionally, because of Jesus, we're perfect in the Beloved. But practically, we're supposed to begin moving toward training our hearts, cutting away the flesh that wants to live in this world. And that takes death to self. You have to die to what you want to do, what your plans are, what you think you desire to do. And if you give your life to Jesus, it wasn't just that you gave it to him. He bought it with his blood. It cost his son's life. He purchased you and you're no longer your own. How many times have I said that if you go to Walmart out here and you buy something, you I bought me a new lawnmower and you start to get it off the counter after you just paid him 200 bucks for it. I go, whoa. What do you mean, whoa, that's mine now. I just paid for it. Nope, we're going to keep it for a while longer. We're going to do what we want to. We thought about putting it together and mowing the grass here. We might give it to you later, but we might not. See, is that the way that Jesus purchased your life? And whenever you feel like it, you might let him pick you up and use you for his glory? No, he owns you. He bought you. And it's better than the devil owning you. Because when the devil owned you, your only future was hell. He would use you abuse you, you wake up, worship him at the throne of porcelain, 
And he didn't care anything about you. He was going to kill you. Your wages were death. But God says, I'll make you perfect. I'll give you an inheritance. I'll give you all the riches of heaven if you understand what the precious blood of Jesus is and how it atones for your sin and your nature. I told you all that just to get you to the fact that if you believe in Jesus, His seed is in you. Back in 1 John 3, 9, His seed remains in you. And kind produces kind. And if you are doing your part of surrendering, getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship, trusting God, asking Him in a relationship, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. If you're asking Him how a citizen of heaven lives, he will begin to train you. you, you, you you'll make no mistake, you will have evidence of a changed life, evidence of a new life. The Bible declares in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. How much is all? See, it's going to be done if you will abide, if you will get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. If you will surrender, God's already did all of his part. It's a done deal. He's already done every bit of it, and all you have to do is begin to trust him and allow his seed to dwell in you, remain in you. Now, let's get into our text this morning. Um, my goodness, he did a long introduction, didn't he? It's 1 John 3.10. Now I'm going to read it from the New Testament, exactly what I just told you. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. You see those litmus tests there? For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works, his practices were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us understand uh, these verses that we would receive it in our heart, it would be planted deep there, and it would grow fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold, Lord. Have your way with us. Change us into the image of your Son, Jesus, from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, 310, 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God... And the children of the devil are manifest. Once again, there's only two families. You notice he didn't say any other families. There's the children of the devil on this planet, and there's the children of God. And they are manifest. And the word manifest means uh, shining. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Shining, because we're called to be lights. And it shines. When you, you see somebody living for the devil, you see somebody living for you. it shines. You know who they're living for. You can tell by the fruit in their life. You can tell by what they produce. You don't go to the, to the supermarket and go, man, look at those bananas. I bet an orange tree did that. 
See, you know what seed was planted. A banana seed was planted. You know where it comes from. It's apparent that, that the bananas did not come from an orange tree. So if we're not practicing righteousness, in other words, moving in the direction of righteousness, wanting to know what righteousness is, remember what it is? It's right living before God. That's what righteousness is. It's right living before God. And anything that's not right living before God, guess what? That's unrighteousness. Sin. Missing the mark. Remember, it's an archery term. You pull back the bow, you shoot at the target, you miss it. It falls, boom, every time. Because we're sinners. We're bad archers. We don't know how to shoot a bow when it comes to righteousness. But Jesus pulled back the bow. He hit the bullseye every single time. And he says, if you believe that I'm Lord and that God raised me from the dead, you can have my righteousness that hits that mark every single time. That's a positional thing. You get an inheritance in heaven. But if you really believed it in your heart, guess what? Your life, when the seed comes in, will begin to want to pursue righteousness. What do you mean? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where you want to be. So you begin to pursue that. You begin to say, how do I live rightly? I'm a child that wants to obey now, not live in rebellion. I've got a new father. I've got a new hope. I've got a new home. I've got a new citizenship. I just got adopted into the family of God. Now, how do I do my part in this family? And it's apparent. Don't believe people when they say, well, we're, we're, we're all God's family. We got to do the right for everybody because God, God, God's our father. No. Listen to me. Many people are living and the devil is their father. That's why the families are being attacked the way they're being attacked. That's why marriage is attacked the way it's attacked because it messes up everything that God has said about love and about family and about training and about teaching. It's a picture of us being in heaven with him. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You guys see this? It's so important. It doesn't say that whoever does not ever sin is not saved. But your entire life now changes. You were going this direction, being led by a sin nature. Father, it was the devil. And you believed in the blood of Jesus. The seed of God comes and is planted in your heart. And instantly, you turn the other way. There's a new direction. It's an immediate thing. It's not a sometimes thing. But in our culture, we've changed it so much because of the deception of the devil that now you can go sit in a church and say you're saved, you can say you're a Christian, but listen, I don't care what people say. God says, if you believe truly in your heart, your life is going to change. Now, I know there's going to be people say, yeah, but Greg, you were, you were a thug, and you were an alcoholic, and you were a drug addict, and it's obvious that your life changed. Listen, you might not have been drinking and drugging and hanging out with those who do, but you were a sinner, and you knew it in your heart, and you know when you've turned the other way. So don't, don't, don't try to say, I wasn't as bad as you, so now I'm still okay here because everybody was born with a sin nature. Everybody was born knowing that they were rebelling against God. And when his seed comes in, you stop rebelling against God. And you have a desire to read his word. You have a desire to partake of the bread of life. You have a desire. 
to find out what that kingdom is about. You have a desire to be like Christ because we know we're not. But we're promised that we will be one day. That's our hope. When I sin, my hope is I know that when I confess it, I get to come back from my room and sit back down at the table with God. That that's not the last time I'll spill milk and play with my spaghetti. But that time has been forgiven. And now I can learn to sit at the table and do the right things. And it was by experience. It wasn't because somebody just gave it to me. So it takes some work of my own to learn to stop playing with my spaghetti. It takes some work of my own and some separation sometimes in order to understand and feel the pain that that Jesus felt when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the Holy Spirit and the Father turned their back as he took all the sin of the world and he was separated from God. Sin separates us, but the blood of Jesus brings us back near. And all we have to do is begin to ask him to give us a desire to follow him. And it's manifest. It's apparent. It's something that the word means known. In in Timothy, Paul says, and the solid foundation of God is clear. He knows those are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, depart from sin. You turn the other way. The focus is no longer in a true believer. If the seed of Jesus is in you, the focus is no longer how much sin I can get away with, but how do I live a righteous life? And that's what the nature gives you in the inheritance. And if you don't have a nature in you that says, I want to live righteously, all you have to do is cry out to him. He died for everybody. All you have to do is ask him to give you a desire to draw near to him. And then you open your Bible and start reading. And you begin, as you begin to receive instruction, you obey it. You listen to what he says. And it's always going to line up with what the word of God already says because he's the unchanging God. See, in our churches today, all around the world today, we're changing everything. We're making up new stuff. Look what God's doing today. Look now, he didn't know that they were going to want to marry each other. God of all creation who created us. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get excited here. The God of all creation who created us spoke us into existence, didn't know that in 2019 that COVID was going to hit. Oh, he didn't know that men would want to marry men and women would want to marry women. He didn't know that. So now we got to change the whole gospel. No, he said that wickedness would increase, that we would live in perilous times, that plagues and pestilence would come. And he says, you be who you are because of who I am, not because of what the world is doing. And you've given one thing to do in the church, to be a witness. See, some people have the gift of evangelism, but all of us have been given and called to be a witness for Christ by how we live. And if his seed remains in us, we can't keep pursuing sin in this world to turn eat the sway of sin, the original sinner. We have to begin to change how we live because of his love for us. We can't go on hating our brothers and hating Fauci or hating Hillary or hating Donald Trump. How could you be a Christian and say you hate those people? 
They're sinning because they're underneath the sin nature, the same one you were under. They're underneath the same spirit. Look at this. I'll show it to you in the Bible. It's Ephesians chapter 2. The church in Turkey, chapter 2. And you, he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. 2-1, two, 2-2, two, two, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Listen to me. That's who we were. Listen, the devil wants you to fight this little physical game while he steals your spirit and takes you to hell. I'm not telling you to go sit down with them when they want to kill babies and, and do all these crazy things. When people, I'm just telling you, you can't hate them. Jesus says over in Matthew 5, again, he says that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. See, because we're above the law. You don't have to actually go shoot somebody to kill them. When you hate them, you stop praying for them. You stop caring about their soul. And everything that we're doing is about the souls, not ours first and then others. Because we're spirits. And what did God do? Everything that God's doing right now is about souls. Do you see him doing anything else? It's all about the souls going to heaven. He gave his most prized possession, the blood of his son Jesus, to save souls from going to hell. And yet we take the church and we try to do everything else. And the only thing he wants us to do is get involved in saving souls. And the only way to save souls is to be a witness, to give testimony, to first let our soul be saved, and then go and teach others how to be identified with Christ. And that's what we're doing right now. You're identified when your seed, his seed is planted in you and you stop chasing sin. You stop chasing self. You stop chasing Satan and you begin to pursue righteousness. Psalms 23, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. It's never changed. It's always the same. This is one gospel of God doing the same thing throughout history from the beginning of saving souls from the original sinner who lied and deceived. And you can go on being deceived or you can wake up and read the word of God and understand what he's doing with his people, his children. He's leading them like a good father. He leads them out of this world. That's what salvation means. To be delivered back to safety. To be out of this world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. Yeah, it's really appealing. Listen, sin, sin is, um, oh, it's real pleasurable for a night. But there's going to be a new day here soon. The judgment's coming. That's what the Holy Spirit's in the world doing right now. John 16, 8. I like 8. It's the number of new beginnings. All right. John 16, 8 says that, that, that the helper, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to convict you that you're a sinner. But you can have the righteousness that comes from Christ. Well, why do I need it? Because judgment's coming. And the only way to receive righteousness is when you do it God's way, according to His covenant, according to His plan, according to what His Word clearly says to us. Yet the church today is doing it their own way. 
All I have to do is show up. Oh, come on. I said a prayer. I believe in Jesus. Well, if a person believes in Jesus, then there's evidence that follow. And the Bible is clearly showing us that, that, that he says right here, this is verse 10 of 1 John 3. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. It's apparent which ones are which. Whoever does not, that's the doeth. Remember the doeth? Commit is the word that he used in in, uh, 3.4. He said, whoever commits sin. In other words, that's your practice. That's your way of life. That's your bent. That's your purpose. That's your mark. That's your mark is that you practice. This is your work, your, your occupation, your character and your occupation, you could say, uh, is to commit sin. Well, this word does not practice is, again, righteousness is not of God. So where's your focus? What are you practicing today? Remember last week's analogy? Spend all week long practicing for baseball for a football game? Does that make sense at all? That we would spend all of our life here in the flesh practicing what the world tells us looks good. Practicing getting money saved up so we can retire and go live on a golf course. Practicing getting all the toys so we win when we're actually going to a different game. It's actually a different sport. It's actually a different kingdom. It actually has nothing to do with this spiritual realm of righteousness. But we practice this life all day long and ignore God and we say, I'm going to heaven. It's an impossibility. It's not going to happen. So what we do is we are in the world, but we're not of the world. So now we say, Lord, what should I be doing? He says, practice righteousness. Well, Lord, I don't know what righteousness looks like. I don't even know what it is. That's a big old fancy word. I can't even spell it. It's right living before God. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, the Spirit of God, when He comes, He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. He will help you remember what I have said to you. So better have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, huh? Better begin a relationship with God. Well, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to point to Jesus because Jesus walked the earth and did perfect righteousness. And he gave it to us. Well, what's Jesus going to do when you look at Jesus? He's going to point to the Father because it's the Spirit of the Father that speaks through us. What's that? That's uh, Matthew. Don't remember. Do I have it somewhere? It says the Spirit of the Father. I love that verse because... It's Matthew 10, 14, 10, 14, 20. I think I got it written down. Can't see though, I'm old. 10, 20, Matthew 10, 20. The spirit of your father in heaven is the one that speaks through you. Listen to me. You can't stay where you're at and say, I believe in God. If you've been in the church and you're staying where you're at and you're not growing and there's no fruit of love, there's no fruit of righteousness, there's no change in your life, then you need to go back to the cross and say, Lord, where am I at? Well, you're still practicing unrighteousness. Your focus is still on the pig pen, just like the prodigal son. But he came to his senses and he started toward his father. He started going back toward his home. If your home is in heaven, are you actually practicing getting there? Are you learning what the culture is, what you're supposed to do? Because if you are, then you're being a witness for Christ. It's all part and parcel. As soon as I begin to read the word and learn what righteousness is, as soon as I stop saying no to self... I'll be saying yes to God, and people will see there's something different, and I'm not doing what I used to do. And they'll say, I want to know what he's got. I want to know what's going on. That's a perfect witness. But if you're still pursuing sin, and you still think that you can go live and do and practice everything you were practicing, and you think you're saved, 
you got another thunk coming. And it's not going to be good to find it out when you get to the throne room because the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once. And then comes the judgment. There's no second chances. You've got your second, third, and 50th, 100th, and millionth chance right now to say, forgive me, Lord. I want to follow righteousness down here. Because this is the courtroom. This is where it matters. You've been given this earthly tent. That's why I'm using these glasses. It's supposed to wear out. Just like when you start using an earthly tent and you go camping and all of a sudden it's got some nicks and cuts and you put some tape on it. Listen to me. That's because you've been using it. And this body is supposed to wear out. We've got a new body in heaven, a mansion in heaven that Jesus is working on for us. We got to keep moving. I ain't getting nowhere here. Listen, what are you practicing in life? It's very important to understand that. You go to the doctor, what do they say? We're practicing medicine. Why? Because I want to be a doctor someday. What are you practicing in life? They have to keep their practice up. I used to have a great doctor, and he said, I said, he said he's leaving. I said, where are you going? He said, well, i got to go back to the hospital and work on this, or I'm going to lose my ability to practice in a hospital. I'm like, that's not fair, because you're the only good doctor I've ever had, and I haven't been to one since. So that was 20 years ago. Listen, what are you practicing? And, and again, that word means doeth. It's what it is in the King James. Whatever you're doing, whatever your bent is, whatever it is that you lean toward, that's what you're practicing. Are you getting good at it? Oh, it's easy to get good at it, isn't it? I remember when I first rolled a joint, I was terrible at it. A little pregnant thing with seeds popping everywhere. But pretty soon I was discipling other people to do it and do it right with a pair of scissors and cut them up and sort them out and roll them perfectly and make sure you put a little, you know, you learn whatever you're practicing. And if you're practicing righteousness, you begin to learn that you're supposed to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. You're supposed to confess your sin. You're supposed to be a witness. You're supposed to be, if you're not practicing righteousness and all you're doing is pretending in, in Christianity, then you're still dead. You're dead in your sin and your trespasses. You're not looking to do what God called you to do. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities. He's, he's given you power to go out and be a witness for Him throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Attica, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we sit on our couches and we watch TV and we're not concerned about souls. And that means we're still concerned just in living in this dead world that produces death. And if that's not convicting then we're not even awake because that's convicting to every person that hears a sermon. There's souls dying every day and going to hell. Do we care? Does it bother us? Can we make a difference? Christ died. He gave everything. You know, we take that analogy and in, in, Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, listen, that's the same love we're supposed to have for everybody else. Christ gave himself up for everybody to come to salvation. It's the same love. That love doesn't change. He's just telling you how it works inside the marriage bed. that You lay your life down in order to win your bride to Christ and to lead her to Christ. But we do that in the world in order to lead the rest of the bride to Christ because we all become the bride of Christ. So we stop chasing our own little desires. 
what are you practicing? Because you're going to get good at it. If you're practicing being fake or pretending, if you're practicing living in death, you're going to get good at it. I'm just telling you, you're going to get good at it. We used to have a bumper sticker on the church van that says, live so the pastor don't have to lie when you die. Isn't that an ugly bumper sticker? But it's true. It's true that sometimes we live and the pastor, he has to bend the truth a little bit. Oh, they knew Jesus. Really? Why can't it be a celebration? Because we know that person knew Jesus because you could see it in everything that they do. That's the way the Holy Spirit wants it to be. If the Holy Spirit is leading your life, do you think the Holy Spirit's hiding and wants you to hide and wants you to chase everything that's in the world when he's trying to give you the inheritance of heaven? You think he really is concerned about gold? He's in charge of construction crews in heaven and they make roads out of gold up there. If he was concerned about gold, he'd bring you a couple dump trucks. He owns everything. The stuff that we chase down here in the flesh is building materials in heaven. It's not important to God. Souls is what's important to God. That's what his economy is about, people, souls. Whoever does not practice righteousness. Listen, this is a new place for our lives as Christians. Holy Spirit, help me to practice righteousness. What's that mean? Do what's right according to God. Because if you're not looking to practice righteousness, you're not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Uh, I love Jesus, but I ain't even going to go in a building with that bum in it. I hate him. He stole $20 from me when I was 15, and I can't stand that bum. Uh, really? What have you stolen from God? What have you done for God? Forget, listen, I have the seed of Christ in me. I have the seed of God in me who forgive the whole world and has mercy and grace upon them for sinning against him. And he was a perfect God. And I can't forgive people for hurting me. I'm not telling you people weren't bit. There's a dog that bit you. Everybody's been bit. God uses it for life and godliness. Everybody's been bit in life. Somebody has harmed you in life. That's why God says pray for your enemies. I didn't tell you to go sleep with them. I didn't tell you to go sit at the table with them. But for you to sit around and hate them and never forgive them and let them continue to dictate your life, it's killing you, not them. They're off having fun. And you're the one dying and mad and hating and not loving them. If you understand that the devil is the one that was the one who brought the sin nature about that would make them as selfish as you are, make, you as, make them as mean as you are, because we're all the same in God's eyes, then you would understand that Christ still died for them just as he did you. And again, I'm not telling you if they hurt you that you have to, in your emotions, go sit down with them and reason with them. I'm just telling you, quit drinking the poison. Because you're trying to kill them and hate them. And they've got you drinking the poison and you're the one dying. Because Christ says pray for them. Set your heart free. Pray for souls. Christ prays for us every day. He's praying for the world to come to him. And he knows they're not going to. But it sets him free to come and die for us. 
Most people won't tell people about Jesus because they're in bondage to their own emotions. They're in bondage to their own fear. They're in bondage to their own sin. And so they are afraid to have a relationship with God and live out loud because it looks different than the rest of the world. It looks different than the rest of the church. It's supposed to be. It's called a personal relationship. He doesn't do the same thing the same way in every person. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Anybody had a burning bush experience? He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. And the bush was not consumed. That'll get your attention, wouldn't it? But Moses, he's just like you and me. He was a knucklehead. He's standing there looking at a burning bush. God's speaking to him. He knows it's God speaking to him. And he's like, this bush ain't being consumed. And God has to tell him. Take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. You would think a person watching that, knowing it's God, he would just go, man, i got to get on my face right here. But God had to tell him what to do while he looked. And taking your shoes off, that's what we're talking about right now, just in case you didn't know. It's your walk. It's how you're living. Taking your shoes off is what he's saying. Let me wash your feet as Jesus did in the last night of his life here on the planet. He washed the lowest servant's feet. He had to take his shoes off. God wants to change your walk into righteousness from unrighteousness. Into holiness from unholiness. But you have to be the one who takes off your own shoes. You have to say, I'm on holy ground and take them off. And agree with him. And begin to be led by him. And do your part. It's not for salvation. It's because of salvation. You have to stop pursuing your life. And the things that you want. And begin to. Souls. That's what's been going on all along. Is that button's going out. Can everybody hear me? Still on? I'll stand real still and I won't move as we finish. What are you practicing today? Verse 11. For this is the message, this is the commandment, King James, that you heard from the beginning. What beginning? The beginning of Christ, that we should love one another. What did he do? How did he love? He said, I give you an example. He washed their feet. The one another ministry is what we call that. Are you concerned about others? See, what happens is we get concerned only about ourselves. We ignore everybody else. That's not the seed of Christ. That's the old nature. The old nature is really good of taking care of self. The old nature is only concerned about self. The only old nature just wants to do for self. But the new nature is that you so love the world that you give your life away so that they can come to know Jesus. That's the new nature because the seed of Christ is growing in you. And you say, that's not important right now. What's important is souls. Now, I'm not telling you to be lazy or uh, silly or, or to put any other sermon away because you're supposed to work, you're supposed to take care of your family, you're supposed to do a whole lot of stuff. But number one is God's righteousness and to begin to practice it. 
That's what Jesus did. We're going to kill you if you don't shut up. Okay, I'm still telling you about the kingdom of God. So much so was his heart trained to talk about the kingdom of God and righteousness that even when he rose the third day, he was still talking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He had never changed. Death didn't hurt him. The fear of death didn't bother him. The cross didn't bother him. Arrest and beating, it didn't bother him. He said the last words on the cross, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. That's the forgiveness we're talking about. That's the love we're talking about. That's what is produced with the seed of Christ in us if we'll get our eyes focused on righteousness. Want to see it? It's in Stephen. If you look at Acts chapter 9, as they stoned Stephen to death because they couldn't handle his wisdom, they couldn't handle his shining, his light, they stoned him to death, killed him, throwing rocks at him. He looked into heaven and said, "Um, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what to do. The same thing that Christ said. That's to what we're supposed to be doing. The message you heard from the beginning, love one another. Man, isn't that hard? Isn't that hard to love? Oh, you're like, no, no. See, this isn't that sloppy agape love. This isn't love people and let them do whatever they want. See, if you really love somebody, you'll present the truth even when it's going to bother them. Even when it's going to cut them, even when they don't want to hear the truth, you will speak truth. That's true love. Today they say, oh, I love one another. Let's all be in this harmonious, sloppy love where I get to go do what I want. You go do what you want, and I'll respect where you're at, and you respect where I'm at, and we can all go to hell together. Is it really love if you're called to witness to souls so they don't go to hell? Is it really love to let them go on in their sin and never say anything? Is it really love if your child is running out in the road and you go, ah, it's all right, he's ran out there before, car won't hit him today. Is that love? See, you know a per- you know the truth, you know Christ, you know that there's no way to get to heaven except through Jesus, salvation in no other name. You know now they were born in sin, you know that the seed could be in their heart, and then you go out and don't tell nobody. We don't say nothing. Is that really loving the world? No, no, no. God loved the world, so he got up off his seat, and he went down, and he died for them. That's love. Love is not letting us stay in the place where we're at, already going to hell, already condemned. Love got up and told us, whoa, that's not going to work out good at the judgment seat. I know people don't think that's love. They think that you're judging me, man. But no, that's called love. If you don't judge it now, you don't have a second chance when you get to the throne room. So you need to judge yourself. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his practice, his works, his doing were evil. And his brothers, Abel's, was righteous. He practiced righteousness. He was listening to God. He was doing what God said to him. You know what? You know what? The, uh, speaking of one another, you know what the theme was that that uh, Cain said to God when God come and said, "Where's your brother?" This is the this is the spirit of a murderer. This is the spirit of the devil. He says, "Where's your brother?" He said, "Am I my brother's keeper?" See, in Christ, in love, you're supposed to be your brother's keeper. Everything that you do affects somebody else like a pebble in the water. It ripples out. Every sin that you commit, it's affecting somebody else. Every witness that you give, it affects somebody else. 
You're discipling somebody for good or for bad, no matter what you think, whether it's your kids or whether it's your coworkers, whether it's people at school, you are affecting somebody. And you can stay like the devil and say, am I my brother's keeper? That's what he said to God. That's what the church says to God. He says, go and make disciples, teach them to obey. And we go, am I my brother's keeper? I'm just trying to live for myself. I'm just trying to pay my bills. That's not Christianity. That's culturanity. That's not the Bible. We're supposed to be concerned with what's going on in other people's lives and help carry one another's burdens. Do not marvel. Don't be in wonder, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, the world wants to kill you. That's what's going on right now on the, on the planet. It's called death culture. It's not cancel culture. And, it, and if it, listen to me. The attack right now is on the whole world. You see it geographically. But it's really on the white population. What? Are you serious? Oh, yeah. It's really on that. But it's actually not even on the white population when you get right down to it. It's against the Christian community. When you keep bringing it down to its smallest denominator, you're going to see it's called death culture. That they're trying to kill the values that come from the Bible. Because America is based upon the Bible. It was started by God. And now you can get all these other lies you want, but the attack is on the culture of Christians. You trace it. You follow it. You watch it. And if you're Hispanic or you're black or you're some other nationality, and you agree with the Bible or what I'm saying right now, they'll just call you an Uncle Tom. They'll just say that you're brainwashed and that you're just like them. You're a racist. How do you call a black person a racist? Well, you can. Believe me, racism is not about skin color. Racism is about how you treat people, and that's what we're talking about right now, loving people. Racism is about loving people where they're at, who they are, and telling them about Jesus. And if you don't, then you're a racist. That's pretty weird, isn't it? Listen to me. It's the attack on God. Death culture. It's the creation of a new world order that takes God out. When you sift it all down, that's where we're at. It's going on everywhere. And it's coming to a city near you. And it's not going to um, stop just when you agree with them. See, that's the, whole, that's the whole sadness is we think that, well, if I just do what the world's doing, then they'll stop and I'll be able to fit in. It's not true. If, if it were true, it might work. But then it still doesn't work when you get to the throne room. You still, there's only two places you're going to live, heaven or hell. All of us are eternal. We're going to live someplace for eternity. Where are you going to live at? What are you practicing? But don't marvel when the world hates you. They hated Jesus. And if his seed is in us, they should hate us. It should be really hard for a true Christian to have friendship with the world. One, you're practicing righteousness. You're not even focused on sin anymore. It should be really, really uncomfortable to be a Christian in this world. We know that we have passed from death to life. That means to change places. 
to pass over from one place to another. So we were living in the flesh, we were living in a sin nature, and we passed over to life. See, life is a person. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we passed over. We were born dead, and we came to life when we believed the gospel message. We know that we have passed from death to life, and here's the evidences of it. You get pulled over by the spiritual police, and you say, uh-oh, I'm going to get a ticket because we love the brethren. You guys love the brethren? You can get a ticket for it in spiritual court. It proves. It's the evidence. If you as under investigation, would people say this person's a Christian because they love others? They're concerned with others. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Not my words. Where are you abiding at? Remember, he told us to abide in him. He told us to abide in his love. He's told us to practice righteousness. That's where you're living at. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, just like Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Got some people in your life that you hate? Listen, I again, again, there's great atrocities that have been perpetrated against people. Probably one of the greatest, if you looked at it from our standpoint, from a physical, would be Jesus dying when he was innocent. Even Herod washed his hands seven times. He declared him to be innocent. And yet he died. He died. Life incarnate died in our face so that we could have life and pass from death to life. I don't even understand that. can't comprehend it. But listen, I don't want to deny what you went through as a person, as a child, that people that hurt you. But when you hate them, it's like murdering them. And it comes sometimes from envy, sometimes from jealousy. Sometimes from confusion uh, and not understanding the truth. But the simpleness that he's trying to get across to us is that God told them to bring a sacrifice. He told them how to bring the sacrifice. He told them that if they didn't bring the sacrifice this way, that sin was crouching at Cain's door. And its desire was to rule over him. But you should rule over it. And the only way you and I can rule over our sin nature is to put it in the grave with Christ and it's crucified with Christ. The only way that we can stop from following sin is to get focused on practicing righteousness, focused on the Spirit leading us onward and upward in Christ Jesus. Because if we get our eyes fixed on people, that's what Cain did. He was mad. Think about it for a minute. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, his life. And so Cain gets mad and says, wait a minute, I want what he's got, but I don't want to do it God's ways to get it. You know what Cain means? Listen to this. Cain means uh, a maker, a fabricator, literally a smith, you know, like a blacksmith making stuff. And Cain wanted to make up his own religion of righteousness and do it his own way. But his brother just listened to God. His brother just brought the offering the way God said. And he was accepted with God. And God looks at him and and, and is pleased with him. And so Cain becomes envious of the place that Abel had and just rose up in the field and killed him. 
And that's what we do. We, we, even in our own lives, we do it to ourselves. We pretend. We want to be righteous. We want to do righteousness. So we make up our own little rules and our own little hearts. And we fashion them and think that we're okay when we're not even doing it according to the word of God. It's called religion. And it ends up killing you. When all you have to do is surrender and abide in the blood, abide in the vine, surrender and do the simple thing of asking God, how do I walk this life out? Quit reading all of these books and just read your Bible. Quit looking for everybody else to give you the answer and ask God. He loves you. He died so he could talk with you. He died so he could instruct you. And I'm not telling you you shouldn't get counsel from the rest of the body. When, the, when somebody tells you what the word of God is, then you can listen to it as long as it lines up. But there's a lot of spirit of antichrist out there to deceive even the elect if it were possible. But if you want to know if the seed of God is in you, I believe in Jesus that he died and rose again. Okay, here. Is there evidence here that you're loving others and you're concerned about their soul and you're pursuing righteousness? That's how you know whether you're saved or not, whether the seed of Christ, because there's nothing in us that would be concerned about others. We're selfish people. Our sin nature I mean, dictates that. And there's nothing in us that would even be concerned about righteousness unless the Spirit of God was in us. Those are two litmus tests that are really easy. And if you're not concerned about pursuing righteousness or others, then you need to go back to the cross. You're being deceived. You're living a made-up life, made up by the murderer the father of all lies. Father, pour out your spirit upon your people that you, as a loving father, would send your spirit to lead us and we would ignore your spirit who points to your son Jesus who you sent to die for us. What a testimony of selfish or selfless love. What a testimony of life. I, it's amazing, Lord. Thank you that we can have eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you that we can come boldly to your throne to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But Lord, if we're pretending, if we're playing, if our salvation is not real, we need to know today, Lord, if your seed is not in us and we're not loving the others and pursuing the salvation of souls and following righteousness as you lead us, we need to know that today, Lord. We would love to have the evidences of true faith and true salvation in our lives. So we ask you, Lord, to make that real to us. Forgive us of our sins. Come into our heart. And lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, for your glory, for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?